got the whole world in his hands, and not just our world. Put on your thinking caps, and we'll talk about it with Dr. Hugh Ross on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Hey, we're so glad you're here. I say it every time and mean it every time. You always have a seat at our table. And by the way, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter is here. Matthew is our executive producer. He's going to dress like a hobo on Halloween. Depending on the economy, maybe for the foreseeable future. (laughs) (laughs) And our producer, James, is working hard in his little glass booth. You've heard of the man with the plan. Well, Jinx is the dude with the food. (laughs) And if you've been with us long, he's always eating lunch during uh, this program. And uh, our video director, John Myers, is in his tech bunker. Uh, John just returned from the Disney cruise. John says it's ironic (laughs) to afford... Sailing with your family, you have to float alone. And Matthew, that's so bad, I blush. (laughs) Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. Some believe fall started September the 22nd. George knows the fall started when Eve ate the fruit. And then Kathy Wyatt is our soft feminine side. Just so you know, as we record this, we have a hurricane headed to Florida. We do. And those of us who are about (laughs) to die salute you. So (laughs) Kathy brought us all candy. That way we'll be too heavy uh, to fly away. (laughs) It seemed like, you know, at the, you know, yesterday at the store, I thought, you know, these poor folks, they need comfort food. Let's just eat candy. Why not? (laughs) Why not? not? Maybe it'll help. You don't know. You you go out uh, without thinking about a diet is not an altogether bad thing. (laughs) Our guest today is one of our favorite guests. Um, Dr. Hugh Ross, he's an astronomer, a teaching pastor, and the founder and president of Reasons to Believe. And we'll give you that website later. He's addressed students and faculties on more than 300 campuses in the United States and around the world. Dr. Ross has written uh, a pile of books. And his latest, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers, is titled Designed to the Core. Dr. Ross, it's good to have you with us again. It always is. Thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. And as I say to you and have said repeatedly, if you don't keep the fodder down low, uh, I'm not going to understand a thing you say. Uh, You know, I... Hugh is so brilliant, man. He's on another level, but he has this unique ability of taking very, very complicated things 
and make them understandable. Uh, Hugh, did you open the first chapter uh, with the purpose of scaring the spit out of people? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the universe really is out to kill you. (laughs) You're not just paranoid. Any book that starts with the universe is out to kill you, man. You want to put down really quick because it's going to get bad. And in fact, it gets really good. Anthropic principle. What's that? Well, that's the idea that the universe is designed to make possible the existence of human beings. And in my library here, I've got 50 books written on the anthropic principle all but two of them written by people who are not believers. And there's a consensus now that when we look out at the universe, we really do see overwhelming evidence that has been fine-tuned, it's been designed to make possible our existence. Hmm. Are you finding scientists are beginning to shut their mouth uh, (laughs) or back off a bit or to say, Hugh, I I thought you were crazy, but maybe you're not. Well, there's a reason why all these books stop at the level of the universe. They say, yeah, there's fine-tuned designs out there, but it's a way to keep God at an arm's length. Hmm. My purpose for writing design to the core is to say we see the fine-tuned designs, not just at the level of the universe as a whole, but at every single cosmic size level. So I start with the universe, then I go into the cosmic web, large-scale structure of the universe, the super galaxy clusters, our galaxy cluster, uh, our galaxy group, our galaxy, and then I get into the local arm, the local bubble, the local fluff. We look at our star, the planets that accompany it, basically making a point. No matter what size scale you choose, you see overwhelming evidence that has been designed not just to make possible the existence of us human beings, but specifically to make possible the redemption of billions of human beings from their sin and evil. So my goal is to bring God up close, so close that you can't ignore him. You don't give any wiggle room. You know, if you can say in a broad way there's fine-tuning, you can maybe get away with it. But after you read your book, there isn't any wiggle room. Have you had any repentance from friends <laughs> who didn't agree with you before? No, I, I've seen that happen repeatedly where I engage scientists and they say, I just didn't know the extent of this evidence. And when they see it all, then they realize, wow, I need to pay attention to this. And they begin to investigate the Christian faith. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, when I'm engaging a scientist who has no Christian background and no knowledge of the Bible, it takes at least two years, sometimes three or four or five years before they give their lives to Jesus Christ. But yeah, it's been my pleasure to see a number of atheists attending my skeptics class. And as we just encourage and love them and answer their questions, they do become followers of Jesus Christ. You've got to be a mind blowing presence in some circles. And a winsome one, too. You Years ago, we had you on to debate somebody who disagreed with you and thought you were ugly in your mother dressing. And that person was angry, upset, 
making obscene gestures, shouting, and you were kind and gentle and winsome and thoughtful. And you're that way with unbelievers, too, aren't you? Well, I, I see that as a command. It's in First Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give good reasons for your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, but with gentleness, respect, and a clear conscience. Non-Christians pay more attention to your demeanor than they do your good reasons and your words. The two have to go together. Oh, man, that is so, so very. Okay, let's get down. You're saying essentially, and you said it, the more fine-tuning, the less wiggle room. Is that true? I mean, if it's a general fine-tuning, that's one thing. But as you read through your book, man, you're getting down to minor little details. And uh, it, that that points in the right direction, right? Well, it does. And Steve, you're a theologian. What you see in the Bible is that God begins his works of redemption before he creates anything at all. Now, as a scientist, that implies that everything that God creates is for the purpose of bringing humans into a redemptive relationship with their creator. So what I've been doing with my secular peers is challenging them, saying, look, I know you're not a believer, but if you will do your scientific research from a biblical redemptive perspective, it'll make you a better scientist. If you assume that everything you study in science has a redemptive purpose, you'll be more successful in making scientific discoveries. And of course, my real goal is that they'll say, hey, there's got to be some truth to all this. I need to really seriously investigate uh, what I see in the pages of Scripture. And then for some, it's not a matter of science. It's a matter of ego and autonomy. I mean, no matter what arguments sometimes that you bring to the table, no matter how cogent and rational those arguments are, some are just going to turn, walk away, throw words at you that have nothing to do with reality because they know that if there's a God, they can't be God. And if there is a God, they're not. And that changes everything. Do you encounter that kind of thing? Well, if you want to see a good example of that, you can go on YouTube and watch a debate between me and the British chemist, Peter Atkins. I mean, we had to study his textbooks in university. Uh, but uh, as you watch the whole debate, he says repeatedly, you have to base your life on facts, on hard scientific facts. Uh, but when challenged, OK, what fact would it take for you to abandon your atheism? Uh, he said, well, I suppose if God appeared in front of me at my desk, maybe I would believe. But no, I wouldn't. I would think I was just having a delusional vision. So bottom line was nothing would persuade him to change his mind. Whereas I gave several examples of potential scientific discoveries that would cause me to abandon my Christian faith. I mean, for example, if we were to prove the universe didn't have a beginning, that'd be catastrophic to my Christian faith. Or if there was no resurrection, that'd be catastrophic to my yeah. Christian faith. Hey, listen, hold it there. We'll talk about it on the other side of the break. Uh, the book by Dr. Hugh Ross is designed to the core. If you're not a believer, this book is going to either change your mind or harden your heart.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, thanks for joining us. We're uh, talking to Dr. Hugh Ross, and his latest book is called Design to the Core. And it's so powerful, so authoritative that it doesn't even need a subtitle. (laughs) (laughs) That's my kind of book. You, you want to say some more about the irrationality of unbelief? I think you see it in Romans chapter one is that they know the truth, but they engage in self-imposed ignorance. They blind themselves to the truth that they see out there, or they say, I don't even want to look at it. I mean, I run into astronomers that recognize, yeah, the universe is designed, but don't talk to me about the sun. Don't talk to me about the earth or the moon. They don't want to see the evidence. And I say, mm-hmm. that's fine. I want to talk to those people who do want to see the evidence. Jesus said, you shake off the dust from your feet. Go to somebody who wants to hear and who's rational and sane and talk to them. They're getting less and less, though. <laughs> George, Uh, Dr. Ross, I don't want to alarm people, but, you know, when we were talking about the universe being out to get you, you make the observation that we can expect a solar super flare within uh, like three one thousandths of a percent of additional time that the universe was uh, in existence. How many years does that give us? Oh, you get a bad flare about once every century. We had one in 1859. It knocked out the uh, telegraph systems around the world. If that were to happen today, we'd be looking at trillions of dollars of damage in the United States alone. Uh, But I mention it in the book because it's preventable. We can protect our power grids. And we know these flares are going to happen. So it would just make good sense to go out and protect them. The only power grid that's protected is a Quebec power grid because it got knocked out. Uh, I think it was in uh, 1989. So they decided to protect it. It's closest to the North Magnetic Pole. So it took the biggest hit. But we'd be really wise to take out, quote, an insurance policy, spend a few billion dollars uh, to make sure that uh, the power grids are set up. And it's not just the money. Uh, you'd have millions of people dying from starvation because we depend on the electric power grid to be able to feed the world's population. Hmm. Well, and I and I was going to um, uh, ask about the Laniakea uh, super galaxy, but what I really wanted to ask about was UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're getting that fodder been, down. It seems like we've been getting more and more reports about UFOs, and we were talking off air some. Would you talk some more about what you well, uh, what's happening. have discovered? Yeah, the governments around the world are releasing a lot of their classified documents on UFOs. But having looked at those released documents, it's basically more of the same. I'm seeing nothing in those releases that's any different from what we already knew. So it's not like we're seeing something new about these UFOs, but we've got a lot more evidence that there's something there that we need to be paying attention to. Hmm. Hmm. Um, you you had more to say off the air than that. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, is, is God just? I never intended to become a UFO expert, but what happened when I was sixteen is I was managing the booth of the uh, local astronomy club, and they put us right next door to the flying saucer club. <laughs> <laughs> Age sixteen onwards, I've been the go-to guy to deal with UFO reports at the different uh, institutions I've served. And 99% of what people reported to me as UFOs, I could explain as natural phenomena, a hoax, or secret military activity. But there's a 1% residual. Now, what's interesting about that 1% residual is that they violate the laws of physics, yet we can prove that they are real because we actually have people have observed them going through the atmosphere, crashing into the earth. You go to the crash site, there's a crater. Uh, the vegetation is damaged, the snow is melted, but there's no artifacts, there's no debris. And when it's observed coming through the atmosphere, no sonic boom, no heat friction. So we're dealing with something real, but it's non-physical. And every physicist I've known that's devoted at least a decade to studying this phenomenon says we're dealing with interdimensional beings, beings that are not subject to our laws of physics, beings that are not subject to the space-time dimensions of the universe. And, you know, you're a Bible scholar. The Bible tells us that God created two distinct species of intelligent life. We humans that are subject to the laws of physics and angels that are not. So I think we're dealing with an angelic phenomena. And when you look at the human encounters, we recognize, number one, it's 100% harmful. It's not beneficial. Uh, there's a deceptive message involved in there. So I think we're dealing with the fallen angels. And the proof of that is uh, the only people that have these encounters are those with open doors to the occult. Close the doors of the occult. That's the end of your UFO encounters. So in our book, Lights in the Sky, Little Greed Men, we say we have a scientifically testable explanation. Open the doors. It's going to happen. Close the doors of the occult. That'll eliminate it. Good stuff. That makes me. So even with UFOs, there's a breadcrumb trail back to the spiritual reality that's that's beyond us. So it's so funny. I I wanted to ask uh, Dr. Ross about, you know, I've heard over the years a lot about this kind of Goldilocks, you know, galaxy that we have where the sun is just so the earth is just so. Am I understanding correctly that that kind of just perfect stuff, the frame is broader than that is that correct that i mean yes everything else it, it's a it's a larger uh artwork that's in balance than than just our little galaxy is that correct and can you yeah. flesh that out that's the point of design to the core everything is just right we see tens of thousands of super galaxy clusters but the one we're in is the only one that has the characteristics that would allow for the existence of advanced life 
Uh, you know, I have a hard time with the Star Wars movies because they all start off with a galaxy far, far away. We've looked at galaxies far, far away. None of them come even close to having the characteristics that would permit the existence of advanced life. And, you know, my fellow astronomers for 70 years have been searching for a star that's sufficiently like the sun that it could be a candidate to have a planet orbiting it that has advanced life. They have found many stars that are twins of one another, but we've yet to find an adequate twin of the sun. And what I show in the book is the luminosity stability of our star, the sun, and the star that places second. The star that places second uh, has a luminosity instability that's five times greater than we see in our own sun. And uh, our sun only has that stability period for a short period of time. And we're in that short time period. And it happens to be identical to the short time period when the supermassive black hole, the center of our galaxy, is extremely quiet. It happens to be identical to that time where we're just perfectly in the right spot of the local plot. Oh, man. Uh, that's, and you know, if God decided that he wasn't going to keep it all straight, uh, it's over. And maybe that's the time when history is wrapped up and Jesus returns and he cleans up the mess. I would prefer that happen by tomorrow, <laughs> um, before the hurricane, uh, just so I wouldn't have to go through that. <laughs> Designed to the core, Dr. Hugh Ross, you don't want to miss a bit of this. From Key Life comes two mini books, What Do You Do for a Living and Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know, a gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're hanging out with Dr. Hugh Ross. And by the way, you can keep up with his work at reasons.org. That's a very deep and important website, reasons.org. Or you can follow him on Twitter, RTB underline H Ross. Dr. Ross, I wonder if you could uh, bring some clarity to something I have heard that's science-y, uh, which is if we were to be sufficiently far away from the Earth and had a sufficiently powerful enough telescope and pointed it back at the Earth, 
we would actually be able to observe history. We would be able to observe the past, the things that have already already happened because of how light travels. Is this just a, a, a junky college uh, cuckoo <laughs> sciencey stuff that people talk about, or is there any reality to this? That's definitely real. The farther away you look, the farther back in time you see. I keep reminding my wife that because I'm an astronomer, I can't be held accountable for the present. All of my data comes from the past. But the wonderful thing is, we happen to be living at the one time in the history of the universe where we can look out and see all the way back to the beginning of time itself. And that's no exaggeration. I could show you images that show you the status of the universe when it was a hundred billionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second old. Mm-hmm. And it explains why in astronomy we get the most compelling, rigorous scientific evidence that a God beyond space and time must have created our universe of matter, energy, space, and time. So if God put us here any later or any earlier, we'd only be seeing part of the history of the universe. Because of where we are and the time in which we exist, we get to see 100% of the past history of the universe. I think somebody wanted us to be able to read the book. (laughs) Yeah, that's fascinating. Kathy? Wow. Wow. Dr. Ross, um, when I read just the table of contents of the book and then begin to decipher into some of the chapters and then I listen to you talk, um, I can't help but go back in my mind. This is going to sound very strange, I'm afraid, but um, it's almost overly simplistic and yet there's a lot to it. I can't help but go back to my earliest days in Sunday school when I first learned about creation and the six days, you know, and, and we marveled at, you know, on the first day, God did this. And on the second day, God did that. And oh, how utterly amazing. I mean, God just made animals out of nothing. And then he made people and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, and then I read, try to read this and I listen to you and it's like, I get this almost overwhelming sensation or feeling that of not just the power of God, but what we don't even begin to understand about him and what he has done, what he's going to do. What does, what does all this teach us about him and and his character and, and his plan for us, because, you know, I feel like we just anything that we do or begin to understand, we just touch the surface of something that's so beyond our ability to comprehend. Well, I love your analogy of going look through Genesis one of the days of creation and how each description is a mind blower of what God did to prepare things for human beings. I structure design to the core to be kind of like that. Every chapter is a mind blower. You say, wow, look what our creator did to make possible our existence uh, at this time. And I've had a lot of people read the book that have no science background. They may not understand the scientific details, but they get that mind blower. Aha. But they say, she had no idea that that was part of the story. And it's kind of like when you look at the Bible, you read Genesis one, then you look at uh, Job 37, 38 and 39. And you see a whole lot more detail on what God did. And it kind of alerts you to the fact that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole lot more. No matter how far you plumb this, you're going to continue to be amazed at what God has done. My wife watched me write the book. 
And she said, every few minutes, you'd be picking up a research paper and you say, this has got to go into the book. This is so <laughs> utterly amazing. And it's like I had hundreds of those experiences. And I said, I'm going to have to pick and choose. I can't put this all in the book. I can never put it all in even a hundred volume set. And that's that because blows, God is so big. That just blows my mind. Oh, my oh, gosh. I, I think people need to have their mind blown just to get an idea of the awesomeness of the creator and his love for us. So that's kind of the bottom line I want people to come away with uh, when they look at the book. Mm-hmm. Well, that certainly happens. And that happens in just sitting and talking with you. It always does. You know, I'm titter on the edge of um, of uh, Buddhism or something. <laughs> and then I hear you, man, I'm good to go for a long time after that. Well, it uh, happens to me when I pick up a scientific journal and say, look at these discoveries. Literally every day, yeah. new evidences are popping up there. And uh, so I get a thrill every day when I pick up the journal. Hmm. But oh, you've got well. to be frustrated at times. Because you see things that others probably intentionally don't want to see. Yes, life moment uh, one again. So. Yeah, listen, preachers have that problem too. It's just a, <laughs> it's <laughs> just at a much deeper level than the one you have. By the way, you got to get this book. I, you know, I kid about being so difficult, but it's a book you can understand. <laughs> Not something you breeze through, but it's something that's worth working on. Designed to the core by Dr. Hugh Ross. He was irritated when the electricity went out. No television, no music, no Netflix. Then he discovered that the battery on his smartphone was dead. He decided to make some coffee, but when he went to the kitchen, he realized that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. Then he noticed his wife in the kitchen, and he sat down and talked to her. He said later, you know, she seemed like a very nice lady. I know, I know, technology's good, but sometimes go talk to somebody face-to-face. You might be surprised how nice and real they are. It's messy sometimes, but Jesus would like it. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. with Dr. Hugh Ross. Uh, His books are worth the effort. But one of the things you'll like about his book, if you're a scientist and you want to go really, really deep in your discipline, this book will go there with you. And if you're like me, you want to be blown away and understand how big God is without necessarily understanding the equations or the places where Dr. Ross has gone to come up with this, then you can do that too. Uh, 
I started to say I was in between, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm of the latter type. And I wade through uh, Dr. Ross's books. And every time I do that, I'm blown away with the reality of the God who is and who we worship. Dr. Ross, uh, we were talking off the air about what one of the things that, that you find is most interesting or exciting, stimulating that you discuss in the book. Can you talk about that? Well, sure. I remember years ago where Origin of uh, Moon uh, researchers got together and said, we've got this half dozen models for the origin of the moon, but there's way too much design in these models. We have to redo them. Uh, and they redid them all. And they all got published in the British Journal Nature. And then one of them, Tim Elliott, made the comment, all this additional design that we've discovered is causing us philosophical disquiet. <laughs> uh, what I write about in Design to the Core, we've got exponentially greater philosophical disquiet for those folks. Because what's been discovered is, Yes, the moon formed as a result of two rocky planets merging together, the proto-Earth and a planet called Thea. And that merger led to a bigger Earth with just the right heavy elements so that advanced life would be possible. But the debris cloud around this new Earth formed the moon. But both bodies had a hot origin. And so the early Earth began with a hot liquid iron core, and the moon began with a hot liquid iron core. But they started off really close together, so close together that the tidal forces of the moon circulated that liquid iron inside the moon, uh, Earth, and the Earth's tidal forces on the moon circulated the liquid iron inside the moon, which meant both bodies had a strong magnetic field. And they're close enough together that they coupled. So we had this coupled magnetosphere. And that lasted for the first half billion years of the existence of the Earth-Moon system, which was crucial because during the first half billion years of the sun's history, it's pouring out intense particle radiation. And if it wasn't for the coupled magnetosphere, Earth would have lost all of its water and all of its atmosphere, and the planet would have been permanently sterile of all life. And the paper where this got published, they just ended and said, we think we discovered another habitability requirement. And it's like they dropped it right there. And I'm saying that's a requirement no matter where you are in the universe. The only way you're going to have life is if you've got the equivalent of an Earth-Moon system with the identical formation history, the identical temperatures inside the core, the identical composition, and the identical uh, history of them spiraling away from one another. Otherwise, no possibility for life. I'll leave it to you to calculate the possibility of that happening without divine miraculous intervention. So figure out how many zeros you got to have after the one. And, Gosh. you know, what I've been sharing with my friends is over the past 10 years, in my opinion, that's the most spectacularly newly discovered evidence for the supernatural handiwork of God and something you see in Psalms and Proverbs. The more we learn about nature, the more evidence we'll uncover for the supernatural handiwork of the creator. That's just one of hundreds of examples that are in the book. Mm. Dr. Ross, when you talk to these non-believer scientists or, or, or just other interested folks, 
And they're like, okay, I can, I, I will go with you as far as saying, you know, we have a fine tuned universe and some force outside of our time and space must have done that. But, but I can't say that there's a God. How can, how can you have this and not this? It's like being a little bit pregnant. It seems to me, you yes. know, just like you're there, you don't want to be there, but well, you're there. You're at least the book about you know, how people who are committed atheists respond to this. And I remember back in the 1980s telling public audiences, eventually the fine-tuned evidence uh, for the existence of humans in the universe will become so overwhelming and compelling. Atheists will have nowhere else to go but to hypothesize there's an infinite number of universes where they're all different from one another, and we live in the one lucky universe where everything is just right. Wow. But it was Leonard Susskind, an agnostic astrophysicist, who said, we atheists have got to stop going to the multiverse. It's a bad argument. <laughs> I give an analogy in the book. If you've got an infinite number of universes, you'll have an infinite number of planets just like planet Earth. And on those infinite number of planet Earths, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll have an infinite number of birch tree species. And one of those birch tree species will peel rectangular thin white pieces of bark that measure eight and a half by 11 inches which will fall on soils with random chemicals in them that will make imprintations on those pieces of birch bark <laughs> that will duplicate every diagram, photograph, <laughs> equation, paragraph, and every scientific research paper ever published, which means all those scientific research papers didn't come from the minds of scientists. The multiverse did it. <laughs> and what Susskind has said, any explanation that explains everything explains nothing. It's philosophically inconsistent. We've got to abandon that. But if you abandon that, what are you left with? A God beyond space and time who personally and lovingly created and designed the universe so we could have a home in which we can be delivered uh, from sin and evil. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing I love, we're out of time and I hate it. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to say the most profound thing you want to say, but. <laughs> uh, you're right. Um, uh, it, it, and every time you come back to him uh, with orthodoxy, with depth and profound insight, you got something to say you can say quickly? Yeah, I do. Uh, you read the <laughs> Bible and it says repeatedly, God begins his works of redemption before he creates anything. The hope that we share in Jesus Christ was given to us before the beginning of time, which implies that everything that God creates is for the purpose of making possible the redemption of billions of human beings. That's what I try to prove in the book, Designed to the Core. Oh, man. Wow. You, that dog will hunt. And uh, thank you. Man, every time you're on, I'm encouraged and uh, I can do this a little bit longer, even in a hurricane. <laughs> God bless you, Hugh. We're so glad for creation, the creation you described. But we're glad also that God created you too. <laughs> the book, get it and read it and rejoice. Designed to the core by Dr. Hugh Ross. Guys, we're going to come back for a short time after the break, and we're going to tell you who we're going to do it unto next week. 
And as I always say, you will always be amazed. Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer. And I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. hour with you, Ross. Uh, We like that man a whole lot. Uh, He is absolutely, beyond a doubt, the most authentic, brilliant guy I know, scientist. And every time he's on, I remember um, how big God is. Isaiah said that God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways, your ways are not your ways. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And uh, use books go in that direction as deep and as high and as wide as you want to go and can go. You can go there with Dr. Ross. Uh, If you're more into the final conclusion backed up by amazing facts, you can go there, too. You know, one of the things uh, that happens when you get older is that you begin to realize how true the Christian faith is. My friend Francis Schaeffer used to call it true truth. It really is true every bit of it, and the universe. And by the way, it's not just an astrophysics. This is happening biologically with scientists there, too. The more you go, the more you realize how wonderfully and fearfully made we are and how great the creator is who made it all and created all. But as Hugh says, The most important thing is to recognize that that God, with all of his power and greatness, has bent down low and listened to our tears, the beat of our heart, the cry of our souls. Now that is amazing. Hey, Kathy, who's going to be on next week? Next week, a new friend to Steve Brown, etc. His name is Eric. Raymond, he's a pastor, and he's written a book titled, He is Not Ashamed, The Staggering Love of Christ for His People. And um, the thing that stood out to me when I saw that book was the word staggering. I, I like things like 
you know, that when that song came out a few years ago, oh, the overwhelming, um, never ending, reckless love of God. And I have a friend who just thought that was just terrible that reckless was used and reckless and staggering is kind of like that to me. I love it because it's so true. <laughs> staggering love. Great sounds. interview. I'm looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to seeing you again next week. We'll be here, same time, same place, on the same radio station, the same YouTube uh, channel, and it's our fond hope that you join us. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. That gives you a wide, wide berth.